Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Here's a little snippet by one of the authors from the anthology. My name is Melissa Gould, and I am so excited to have my essay, What's in a Name? My Best Friends, in the new anthology, Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. And the thing I do not have time for is people who refuse to get the COVID vaccine. Get it, people. Dolly Alderden is the author of Ghosts, a novel. She is an award-winning author and journalist based in London and a columnist for the Sunday Times style. She's also written for GQ, Red, Marie Claire, and Grazia. She is the former co-host and co-creator of the weekly pop culture and current affairs podcast, The High Low. Her first book, Everything I Know About Love, which is a memoir, became a top five Sunday Times bestseller in its first week of publication and won a National Book Award in the UK for Autobiography of the Year. I had Dolly on my podcast to talk about that book, so you can go back and listen to that episode as well if you like. Ghost is her first novel. Welcome, Dolly. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books for the second time to discuss Ghosts, now an international bestseller. So exciting. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I am so impressed with the very, very chic home that Zibby is beaming in. <laughs> from. I literally can't. That's like all my Pinterest dreams come true is your bookshelf. I put this all together myself. I had COVID last February and I was in bed for nine days and I got out and I came in here and I took every book off every shelf and reorganized and made this like colorful wall. I don't know. It's like I had to touch every book. It was bizarre. So yeah. What an incredibly industrious and useful way to spend your time suffering from COVID. Yeah. I think I just was going crazy not seeing anybody for so long. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's actually, that's a, a good hot tip. For someone who's currently housebound with COVID. Yes. Start reorganizing. Start reorganizing. You should see what I do with my kids' rooms, but that's like a whole nother Zoom. (laughs) Everybody's is rearranged. And oh my gosh, I even put like the wallpaper you can get from Amazon on my daughter's room to make it look like pretend bricks because she was like all into that. And I did all this stuff myself. I don't know. Wow. Sometimes I need to like get into it, you know, to like, I don't know, just like make 
have some control over something. I don't know. Yeah. Have some control over something. And I also think that there's something that's so satisfying about DIY, like at home projects, because you know that you're putting all this time into it and you know that you're going to get this thing guaranteed physically at the end, which you don't get in other parts of adult life, i.e. relationships, you know, totally <laughs> creative endeavors, it's speculative business propositions. <laughs> you know, it's like it, you can plow so much time and love into something and end up with absolutely nothing at the end. So there's something that's just like so satisfying about DIY and gardening that you're guaranteed to have this like physical evidence of your time at the end of it. Yes. It's so simple, but so satisfying. I don't garden, but you garden? Do you know what? I went through a big gardening phase uh, a couple of years ago. I've got I did that classic Londoner thing that I'm sure people in New York do where like, because none of us can afford outside space, you end up just finding these like tiny little square meters of roof or, you know, just bits of gravel that you then turn into a makeshift garden. So on my roof, which isn't even mine, I think it kind of belongs to the tenants above, but that I asked them permission. They were like, yeah, go for your life. I just put loads of, I put like four raised beds and I grew some, courgettes and some radishes and herbs it was very satisfying but like everything with me it's always really exciting and I'm obsessed with it and I think about nothing else for about six months and then sure enough they're now just full of weeds (laughs) (laughs) I have the same thing I get so excited about everything and then like the next thing comes and I'm like well I'm not as excited about this anymore. I said that to my daughter about something and she's like, what? You were so into that. I was like, I know, but now I'm into this. (laughs) Anyway. I know I'm the same. I'm exactly the same. I have like endless amount of obsession and passion for something. And then, and then I move on. Yeah. But I don't know. Keeps things interesting, I guess. (laughs) Keeps things interesting. Yeah. And it gets stuff done. Yes, in the short term. Totally. It's like yeah. a burst of motivation. And well, is that how Ghost came about? Tell me how this book came about. Yes, Ghost was definitely an absolute obsession that gripped me and it all came about really fast. This is it's so funny we should talk about this because it's the same with gardening, it's the same with writing, it's the same with like albums. I'm like this with albums. At the moment, I'm only listening to two albums on repeat, and I have done for a month. Which one? And I know. Little Sims' new album and Cleo Soul's new album. And then, thank God, Kanye's album was so shit because (laughs) (laughs) it means I can just focus on those two new releases of September. And then I know next month I won't listen to them again probably for three years. It's just... It's a, it's just a weird part of my personality. I'm always, if I'm interested that you're the same and that you managed to commit to having a family because I always <laughs> think like, wow, that's going to be the real test for me. <laughs> but I can't just go, okay, I think I'm done now. I'm just going to hand these kids over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say I'm divorced and remarried. So I do get breaks every other weekend where I, oh, yeah. so maybe I've manufactured that in a way. <laughs> It's so interesting you should say that. You can cut this out if you want, because this is obviously like, you know, a bit of a spicy thing to say. But I have dated quite a few single dads and all of them have said the same thing, which is like, obviously divorce is hugely traumatic and a, a horrible thing for anyone to go through. But the thing that no one talks about is it do, if you're amicable with your ex-co-parent, it does sort of give you the perfect parenting setup. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, it's very sad when I don't have my kids, like, especially in the beginning. And sometimes it feels like my heart is breaking, but other times I'm like, 
all right, I'm good. You know, like my yeah. husband never knows what he's going to get. Like after I drop them off, yeah. will I be sobbing or will I be like ready to go for <laughs> drinks? He's always just like, what, what, what's coming? I don't know. You know, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, I always say like, I could not get all the stuff I do done if I weren't divorced. Yeah. I mean, there's no way. Yeah. I mean, I can barely, I go like 10 days and then I get a break. So, you know, that's really the secret sauce is like being able to sleep and regroup mm. and all of that stuff. But yeah. And I think because it's the thing that my that my friends have said that's so all-encompassing about having kids, which actually does relate back to ghosts, is that it's that it's not so much like particularly when you've got really, really little children, it's not so much about loss of time and loss of sleep. It is a it's about loss of life, it's about loss of identity, it's about, you know, so much of my life in my 20s where I feel like most myself and most like I'm really in my my own life and in the funk of my existence is pottering around is like those Saturdays where I go from an exercise class to really long walk to having a lunch with a friend and then walking around the shops or going to the cinema on my own. And like the thought of all of that being taken away from me, I think it would send me into a bit of an existential, you know, funk really. Yes. Well, I think that's why, I think that's part of why there's a lot of, you know, the postpartum depression, anxiety. I mean, not the actual thing. That's like a symptom and a yeah. true mental illness, yeah, yeah, but like, I mean like long-term postpartum, like, <laughs> like yeah. 10 yeah. years, 20 years. It's true. I mean, that's why, that's why so many parents are like, oh, brunch. Remember brunch? Anyway, now I get to go to brunch every other weekend and you know, it's not that great, but it's fine. <laughs> But I, I, like- I had it the other day. Yeah, I had it the other day with my friend where I said to her, she had her baby was she had the, an afternoon off from her baby, which was like the first first time that she had an afternoon off from her baby, and she was like, I was like, what did you do? Thinking she was going to say, I went to this exhibition and I went and ate this my favorite thing. I went whatever, and she was like, I just did errands and it was bliss. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, she went to the post office. <laughs> And she sorted out her knicker drawer, and she and the idea of that being a luxury in life, That's you know, so funny. is quite terrifying, actually. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I had time to like shave my legs without someone knocking on the shower door. You know, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one interrupted me for two seconds. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're so funny in this book, by the way, with Catherine. She, that's the name of the married friend, right, Catherine? With a yes. K. Yeah. Because the way that your main character interacts with her friend is just like so classic, especially you know, this one line where she canceled because she said something like, I have to get up in the morning. And you're like, as if we, the rest of us don't have to live. I mean, you're so much funnier than me. What did you say? Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Oh yeah. You said, I'm going to read this whole par- paragraph because you're hilarious. And by the way, I have laughed more in this book than I have in so long. And like every time I pick oh. it up, I'm like, well, I bet this next section won't make me laugh. And then it does. And I'm like, oh, thank you. You oh, said thanks the, the next morning with the sort of hangover that makes you Google ashrams, I found myself 10 and a half miles away from my sofa. And once again, on Wandsworth Common against my will. The original plan was for Catherine to come to my flat to help me choose a pink color for my bathroom, then go for a walk and lunch nearby. But at the last minute, she said she couldn't do the journey because of a childcare glitch. I was totally unsurprised. Such is the superior trump card of motherhood that she once canceled dinner with me an hour before we were meant to meet via a text explaining she had to, quote, wake up in the morning, etc., unquote, as if being childless gave me an option of not existing for the day. <laughs> What a bitch. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, but you're so funny, especially like when the two of you, I, I, I keep saying you, it's not you, Nina, when Nina and Catherine are like over there and she's trying to like fill her time for an hour and a half and just like sitting there being like, you know, is this enough? You can refer to it as, what did you say? Something like, I don't know, like filling up the card and then you don't have to, you know, refilling like oh, gas yeah. in the car or something. And then you like, we're finally, you're done and you've listened enough and you're like, I'm out. <laughs> I know it's, it's, you know, when I hear it back, I do, I do. Cause I, I hear that passage being read. I'm like, God, Nina is so snarky. <laughs> I love her. I love Nina. I, she's Oh, like, I'm so glad you do. I'm so glad you do because it was, it, she's, she's quite different to me with her voice, but her thoughts that she says to the, to the reader are kind of like my darkest thoughts that I have on my grumpiest day when I've had three glasses of wine. So there's something very cathartic about just letting those like, slightly less generous thoughts have room to breathe and to to kind of play around with them and I'm so glad that as a mother in particular that you liked her and you didn't feel she was too judgmental because I really really wanted to you know at first you see Catherine through Nina's eyes which is which is only from the paltry pieces of information that she gets from Catherine and Catherine is so concerned with showing her she's made the right choice of having children and settling down and getting married quite young that she actually doesn't give the full picture to Nina. And it was really important to me that you have that slightly distorted view of Catherine through Nina's eyes initially. And then in the kind of later part of the book, we get more of the backstory of where Catherine's at in her marriage and in her mental health and with her children and with her mothering so that we can really understand why she has in Nina's eyes fallen short as a friend. I really, really wanted to not, I didn't want to be, ungenerous towards Catherine. So I'm glad that you like Nina. No, I loved it. You know, everyone who is a mother was once not a mother. Do you know what I mean? like, yeah. We were all yeah. on the other side of that. And all of us had mother friends. I mean, not, I shouldn't say all. Let me speak for myself. When yes. Before I was a mother, I had friends who were already mothers. So like, just because I'm one now doesn't mean I've forgotten any of that. You know, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. uh, so no, I didn't find I thought the snarkiness was hilarious. I think that was my oh, favorite goodness. part. I'm serious. Maybe <laughs> that makes me a terrible person or something. But <laughs> no, I, I was laughing so much. Yeah, I, I loved their dynamic. And I mean, when she said she's having another baby and, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, like, what did she say? She was like, she's having another one. Now I have to feign like I care or the surprise or like whatever. I don't know. It was so funny. Yes, it was something about that is a bit me being a bit a bit of a bitch that I, I think there's there I'm always not always because not all couples do this but I do find the the kind of grand unveiling of information when you have the privilege of being in a couple that have this information that they feel they can kind of release as a as a sort of as a press release to, to the people in their life which is a privilege that's not really allowed for single people you know if I kind of issued statements about new information in my life I think people would think it was rather self-important but (laughs) (laughs) I am just quite interested and obviously with with having babies there are lots of reasons why people would want to hold that information back but there's a way in which Catherine conveys that information to Nina that Nina finds sort of imperious and I think uh, as you as as I said like it's just comparing it to the single experience which Catherine just seems to have forgotten so it's like wow you really you really do get just by the default structure of having, of you know, the ancient rituals of like having kids and getting married and how that's celebrated. It means that by, by default in their friendship, like 
a lot of their friendship and a lot of their conversation and a lot of their lives and a lot of their planning is all related to Catherine's life choices, personal life choices that kind of dictates the whole tone of the friendship. And that, that, you know, that does start, that does start to grate on her. Of course. There's this other passage. Oh, is this your fish and chips? Just as a warning for the soundscape. This is so funny. So right before we started filming, Thali says, well, I hope you don't mind, but in the middle, a nice man's going to come in with some fish and chips. And I was like, how British is that? Amazing. And this is exactly what's happening now is that she's getting fish and chips delivered as if this is what happens all the time in London. Like it's not just in the movies. (laughs) Thanks so much, Ryan. This is, yeah, Friday on set is fish and chip day. The whole crew are really always excited about a Friday. So I've got a little plastic box of fish and chips. Wait, tell us what, tell us about the project that you're on set for. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, grown-ups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery. Perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishful podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. So sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic Tongue Twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Yes, I'm making, sorry, as you can tell, I'm struggling with with sentences today because I was on set very early. Um, I am doing an adaptation of my first book, my memoir, Everything I Know About Love, and that's shooting at the moment. And we're 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 doing all the scenes in a studio at the moment. So there's a set build and we're here all day. That's so cool. How is that just such a trip to be doing your own life story? I mean, is that crazy? It's, I mean, it's semi-fictionalized, which helps it be a bit less crazy. But the house is very similar to the girls' house share that I lived in. Oh my gosh! And we—they've really, really done a great job of these very, very specific, authentic details that were very important to me. You know, one of the first conversations I had with my director was we said, you know, we don't think there should ever be a shot of a radiator that doesn't have knickers hanging on them. You know how when you live with girls, it's just every radiator just has drying knickers and you all end up like wearing each other's pants for years (laughs) because you're all wearing the same indistinguishable 
crap pants so yeah all, the, all these like tiny and like in the bathroom I was walking around the bathroom yesterday and it had that classic girl house share thing of there were so many bottles around the bath of sh- like most of which have been emptied but no one can be bothered to throw away just this detritus of womanhood around the bath that makes it impossible to to have a proper shower in Uh, so yeah it's really really fun I'm so keen when I'm talking about the process of filming this show to be really honest about the fact like it is stressful and it is tiring but it is probably the most fun experience I've ever ever had and the only reason I'm so smug about that is because I want writers to know that it's worth it because when you're a screenwriter you just have like basically 10 years of heartbreak and nothing being made and having to write endless documents for no money like so much work that you do in those development stages of working with tv production companies and film production companies it's just unpaid work and it just gets fruitless and it goes nowhere so now I'm just really keen to say do you know what when you do get there it is it's creativity on a level I didn't even think was possible. It's like, you know, typing up the copy for what one of my characters' CV might have looked like for one passing shot. It's just that kind of level of detail that I love. That's so cool. Who is playing you? Emma Appleton is playing me. And then Belle Powley is playing a character based on my best friend. And then the two other housemates, the other two best female friends, they all met at university. One of them is being played by Marley Sue, who's done a few things before. And then the other is being played by Alia O'Doffin. And Alia is literally like when we hired Alia, she was still in drama school. She hadn't even done a showcase yet. So that's just so, we feel so lucky to have, well, we have, we feel lucky for the whole cast, but there are a few actors where we feel like it's so exciting that we have the privilege of, of it being their first green job. So cool. Oh my gosh. How fun. This is so yeah, great really too, fun. because I feel last time we spoke about your other book and now already it's like a whole production. And now like, I, I don't know. know, by the time your next book comes out, what will have happened to ghosts? I don't know. Was this optioned already too? Yes. It's optioned as a film. It, it's, it's been optioned as a film. A film script has been bought. A, a, a studio hasn't bought it yet, but I am writing the film script. It's the thing I'm doing straight after this, so which cool. will be great. Oh my yeah, gosh. I can't really, wait to really watch fun. it. I just wanted to read like one more funny passage and then talk about one other passage. You wrote, Max was 10 minutes late. I hated lateness. Being late is a selfish habit adopted by boring people in search of a personality quirk who can't be bothered to take up an instrument. That might be one of my favorite lines in the whole book. That's so <laughs> hilarious. You're so funny. Oh, thanks, Amy. Do you know what? That was a real stretch of my imagination because I'm sorry to say I am the person who is 10 minutes late for everything. And it has upset and angered and infuriated, quite rightly, every person who loves me and my, my entire, throughout my entire life. <laughs> I am like always on time. Well, now I'm sometimes late, but like I just have always viewed being late as like, well, why is your time more important? Anyway, it was just like hilarious. I don't know. Oh, I can already tell. I can hear, I can hear from that speech, that that yeah. sentence you just said that's already been said to me so many times. I know if you and I were best mates, we would have so many rows about it. <laughs> My husband is late a lot too. He's like chronically late. And I, I don't understand. I mean, I'm sorry if he's listening, but you know, I, I so now I like give him false times that he has to be ready. Or I'm like, yeah, they do that and to I, me. And I yeah. kind of see why. I like watch it like I'm watching like an animal at the zoo. Like, why is it so hard? Let me see what he does to make him late because we both have the same amount of time to get ready to leave at the same time. And I think it's that like he that it just doesn't feel pressing until it's time to go. And then yeah. he has like all these things he realizes he has to do. 
Yeah. Whereas I'm like always working backwards in time. Like, oh, I'm going to have to leave in 20 minutes. So now I have to do this now or, you know, as opposed to like, it's time to go. Oh, now I have to do these five things. You know what I mean? Like it's just a different... I, don't know. I think as well, I think it's definitely the working backwards thing. Either you do that or you don't. I also think <laughs> to be generous to your husband and myself, I think it's optimism. Mm-hmm. So I think people who are extremely optimistic in, in a bit of a delusional way will just not factor in all the, the realities of life that means that that you have to leave time for all the variables of life you have to leave time for. So like if I see on the, on the train app that it says to get from my station to the station I need to go to, it's 10 minutes. I will leave for 10 minutes, forgetting that I have to walk to the station. I have to walk to the place at the other side of the station that there might be delays, that there might be a queue at the ticket machine. So it's like, and it's also, I think daydreaminess, and I'm just always sort of in a bit of a, a bit of a different world in my head a bit. So I think I just, I just find it hard to be rooted in reality and its demands. <laughs> Honestly, I think you've just like solved one of our biggest conflicts in our relationship. <laughs> really? No, oh, because I hadn't, he is super creative and he is super optimistic and he always just thinks everything's going to turn out just fine. And it usually yeah. does for him. I mean, and, and I've always been like, that's not how it works. And he's like, that's how it works for me. And I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, yeah, I don't know. Maybe but where do you go from here? That's the thing, isn't it? Is that you analyze it and you work it out. And it's like, well, where do we, how do we, because I, I do think I've been trying to change it my whole life and I can't really change it. I, I'm sure I could, but I keep trying and it doesn't work. <laughs> I, I really think it has to be a false deadline situation. Yeah, that's what my friends That's do, the yeah. only way. I think it's the only way. Because yeah. if someone's process is not going to change and they're like committed to overlooking the mundane <laughs> or just don't see it, right? It's, you know, I feel like it's like people who are flying above the clouds, right? Like they're not seeing all the stuff or Whereas like, I'm like right on the ground looking at every single building, right? I leave like an hour early for everything. I'm too early. I'm at the airport. Like I usually make earlier flights because I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what might happen. I could get in a car crash. It might be today. Like I'm always at the worst case in my head. So, and this is the problem because my best friend is like you. If you're someone who's above, you know, in the clouds on that plane of existence, the likelihood is you surround yourself. The people who are closest to you are the people on the ground. Mm. So then it means that you don't really have to go down there. So it's like, so it means that like, I always know if I'm going on holiday with Farley that I, everything, I would sort everything, but she'll just sort it months before I would. So I don't even really have to open the Airbnb app, even though I'm happy to. I know I won't have to. So it kind of perpetuates this, this like dynamic where she always feels like she has to be the one organizing everything and keeping everything on track. And I always feel like, I don't know what I provide the jokes, (laughs) (laughs) the drinks, the laughs, I don't know, something completely fucking useless. But I just think it's interesting that those two opposite temperaments often really are drawn to each other, which means that the other one never really has to change. Mm, interesting. I like it. I like it. I mean, because it helps us the other way. When you say you don't know what she gets out of it, like I'm sure she gets so much out of being your best friend. I feel like I want to be your best friend after this book and conversation and everything. Like I'm sure anybody would. But like, I know for me, like my husband, 
like I need that. I need to see, I need to get pulled mm. up myself or else I'm in the, you know, who wants to live totally in the traffic. Yeah. If you can live above the clouds. I don't know. So maybe it just a taste yeah. of a reminder of that or something. One other yeah. thing I just wanted to talk about in ghosts, which I thought was also like one of these life revelations that you just casually throw in there was when you choose your partner anew and just like based on every life stage, right? This is what she realizes Nina and, and her ex-boyfriend kind of realized when he gets married and says, or he's getting married and says he doesn't want to, she was like, I, I thought you wanted to, you didn't want to get married and we were together. And he's like, well, I think you choose who you want to be and what you want to do based on that relationship, not based on you. And then you fill in the the person who will make that happen. I didn't say that very well, but yes, yes, it's exactly that. Yeah. And I just love that because I hadn't thought about life in that way too. Basically in every relationship, right? You, It goes a different way based on that specific combination as opposed to this is what I want. This is what, mm. I don't know. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, totally. And it's that's always, I mean, I have to believe that because of the sheer number of men who wouldn't commit to me and then the next relationship they're in, they're married. Like that happened to me so much in my twenties. And then equally, I think about the, the people I haven't been able to commit to in a very like I remember being with someone for quite a long time and saying to him when I was really young, so maybe I was just too, maybe I was just too young to be even pontificating on these things. But I said, I definitely don't want kids, definitely don't want kids. And then the person I was with straight afterwards, I just immediately knew that I would want to have kids with them. And what I realized was it wasn't that I didn't, I was a person who didn't want to have children. It's that I had chosen a partner who deep down I knew I wouldn't be able to parent with. So something in me was like, oh, that's not for me. And it's because I couldn't imagine raising children with this other person as wonderful as he, as he was. And I think that's, you know, that's exciting in a way to know that, that humans are malleable and adaptable and that we love in that way, that we can, we only know what it is we're capable of really when we meet the person who makes us feel like they can make us capable of it. But that's also pretty heartbreaking. Like the, my heart breaks for Nina a bit with that, with her ex, because yeah. her and her ex Joe are very good friends. And he was just a completely useless boyfriend to her. They were together for seven years and he never remembered a birthday and he was adoring, but he was like having a bit of a teenage son boyfriend. I think we all had one of those. And then the next woman he was with straight after Nina, he's like, Mr. Boyfriend couldn't be more attentive, loves being bossed around by her, is terrified of upsetting her, is her lapdog basically, couldn't be more quote unquote well behaved as a as a romantic partner. And the fact was that him, and I think he says this to Nina on the morning of his wedding, because Nina's one of his ushers, he says, it's not that we were different people, we were just growing up. And the point where yes, Nina and Joe yeah, when they when they met each other and when they were together throughout their twenties, they were, you know, kids. They were form, they were working out with each other what kind of adults they want to be. They weren't really being adults together. You just love that. Reminds me of when Harry met Sally. You know, when she's crying. I assume you've seen this movie, right? My favorite movie of all time. No, okay, good. I was, okay, I was gonna yeah. say like if you haven't seen this movie, something is wrong with the universe. <laughs> No, and she's like crying and she's like, he didn't want to marry me, you know? Oh, I hate that line. Oh, 
<laughs> all like, this time, yeah, all right. this time I thought Joe didn't want to get married. Oh my God, he's called Joe the ex as well. Right? I was going to say that. Least. And then I was like, did I just make up that his name was Joe? Maybe I won't say the word Joe. No, no, no. It's so funny. I've got to be so careful of that. It's, it's, I've got this incredibly spongy brain. This has happened a few times with the scripts in the show that I realize I've written a scene that's just phenomenally good. And then I realize the reason it's phenomenally good is it's completely stolen from one of my favorite films. <laughs> and I've done it without even realizing. <laughs> Dolly, you have stolen that scene. I hate to I know. tell you. No. <laughs> I know it's bad. It's really bad. It's because you don't, you have to, every scene, and the key is if it's really good, if it's really good, the likelihood is you've taken it from someone else. <laughs> because there's like, yeah, every scene that I do or every line that I've written that I'm like, oh, that's good. That feels like classic. If you get the feeling with your own writing that something feels like classic or like, archetypal or it's been here before the likelihood is it's been here before and it's just you're just recycling stuff without even realizing it's my biggest fear is accidentally plagiarizing without even realizing we won't say anything I won't tell anyone (laughs) I know I'm like already running over as a last question what's your advice for aspiring authors oh okay so don't be afraid to live is my first piece of advice, which sounds very like something you'd see cross-stitched on a cushion. And what I mean by that completely useless truism is you don't have to be in a rush to get projects done because writing is one of the very few industries on earth that favors aging. So that for me as a woman feels incredibly liberating. I know for a fact that when I'm in my 60s, my writing, there is just no, there's no dispute. My writing is going to be better. It's not like being a model or being an athlete or being in a really zeitgeisty job, like publishing or marketing or PR or whatever. The more life experiences a writer has, the better they are going to be as a writer. The more love they feel, the more loss they feel, the more people they meet, the more people they meet from different backgrounds to theirs, the more experiences they expose themselves to which are uncomfortable or different to theirs, the more they learn, the more they read, the more they travel. All this stuff is only going to make your writing better and better and better and better. So don't be, don't be so panicked about having to, this is the age I need to get my novel done. This is when I need to get an agent. This is when I need to have my piece published in the New Yorker because you've got time. Time is on your side. So if it means that you have to spend five years, 10 years, 20 years, look at Nina, these are English writers, sorry, but Nina Stibby is one, or there are so many writers, A.A. Gill's another writer, who are like beloved English writers, super successful. They had these whole lives before they started writing. They were in their 30s. In Nina's case, I think she was in her 50s. And don't be afraid, because basically to write full time from a young age, the fact is you've got to have support, you've got to have rich parents. (laughs) And most people don't have that. And that's obviously totally fine. So what you're going to have to do instead is either loads of different temp jobs or a job that's writing adjacent or an entirely different career, like be a lawyer, be a doctor, be a teacher. That's totally fine. You don't have to panic about that taking away your chance. As the years go on, your your chances of being a published writer do not dwindle as far as I'm concerned. There might be statistics that prove me wrong, but I just personally think that writing is just, it is only ever enriched by the experiences of the writer. So just don't panic 
and just do your writing in the evening and at the weekend and any snatches of time that you can. And that doesn't mean that you're a failure. And that doesn't mean like that should be inspiring to you. That should be exciting. Don't ever feel ashamed about that. I love that. That's brilliant and a fantastic piece of advice. I, I, I feel like all the people I interviewed, there's like, I don't, I think I've, I don't think I've interviewed anyone in their twenties, you know, it's, it just doesn't happen then. Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. have to go out and live. Yeah. And just don't, don't panic because the minute that you're anxious, that is when you can't create. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, relax into it. I love it. Dolly, thank you so much. I'm sorry to run over. I could talk to you all Not day. at all. Zibby, I always love talking to you. I'm sorry. I've been rambling on. No, no. In my awesome. um, half-asleep state with one eye completely focused on this you pile of breaded haddock. fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> you eat your fish and chips and go back to your, your real work. <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you so much. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 